All right, let's read this passage. We've got two, one from Ephesians, one from 2 Timothy. Ephesians 5, 25. This is God's word, and it's true, and it's given to us because he loves us. So let's hear his words now. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And then 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Amen. Uh, let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you express yourself to us in ways that we can read, see, study, wrestle with, disagree with, something tangible and substantial that we might know you. Help us, Jesus, to know you, wrestle with you, and see you more clearly in your word tonight. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. So welcome to RUF. Uh, RUF is a Christian ministry on campus. We're here for Christians and non-Christians. We're here for people who are convinced of Jesus' truth claims, people who are unconvinced. We're here for you if you've had a great day today or if you've had a terrible day today. Uh, because this is not about us or how we feel or any of that. It's about Jesus. And he came to all of us because he loves us. My name is Willis. Um, I, uh, I'm the campus minister with RUF here. Uh, I... Uh, it's a privilege to be here. Like This is my last large group of my first year on campus, and I just feel thrilled that I've had this chance to be with you guys, so it's awesome. Thanks for being a part of it. And if I look a little tired, it's because I had my kids, my two oldest kids, they're twins, they're five. We had their birthday party a couple days ago. And if you've never been to a five-year-old birthday party, it gets pretty crazy. <laughs> and it did, and we're still recovering. Uh, but I'm glad to be here. The one thing I want you to know about me, though, is that I'm not a good person but Jesus loves me and that's changing my life and he loves you and he wants to change your life. He wants you to follow him that he might change your life. And we come here tonight to see in his word in the Bible, how he changes the way we navigate sex, love, romance. And especially tonight we're focusing in on relationships. The big question I want to answer from God's word tonight is this, What's different about the kind of romantic relationships that Jesus empowers and calls us to? What's different about them? Uh, I want to illustrate this real quickly, just this story. Uh, there's stressful trips and there's fun trips. One of the most stressful trips of my life, I was trying to remember, I can't remember if it was like, I lived in Houston before this, if it was Houston to here or like some other, I can't remember, but I, I just had this memory of being in the airport with my entire family, so three little kids, my wife, me, and we're like lugging our giant car seats, you know, in the giant like zipper containers which are super ungainly, along with all of our other luggage and our kids who are trying to run everywhere, going through like this security thing to get to our flight. And this lady, the gate lady, she's at the gate and she's like, they're about to leave without you. And I'm like dragging the thing, I'm like, I know, like, I'm going as fast as I can. Wait, please wait. Wait, 10 seconds later, they're, they're going to leave without you. I'm like, lady, like, I'm right here. 
I can't remember if we made it or didn't. Uh, I just remember it was like the most stressful thing. I was like sweating. It was awful. Okay, stressful connections um, versus uh, there's this one summer where I quit a very terrible job and I just went to California to take a different job where I was going to be like the high adventure director of Boy Scout camp. But I had like four days and the drive didn't take four days. The drove took like two and I could like stop in Kings Canyon and climb a peak and I stopped somewhere else and did something else fun. And the whole drive was just like windows down, playing my music, super chill. It was awesome. I knew where I was going to go, but like I was free within that, uh, between where I left and my destination to just kind of do what I wanted to do. And this is a picture I want to submit to you, a picture of the difference between the way WNL does relationships, the way our culture does relationships, and what Jesus invites us into. Okay? I'm not saying that Jesus invites us into a relationship scenario that's always just like sunshine and daisies and like college road trips to California. But I am seeing that there's some specific differences in how Jesus invites us into something better. Okay, we're going to see that in three ways. From confusion to clarity of purpose. From enmeshment to healthy boundaries. And from fear to grace. From confusion to clarity of purpose, from enmeshment to healthy boundaries, from fear to grace. My hope is that you would walk away from this night, from this series, which we're ending tonight, not so much with like a to-do list of like, okay, how can I do my relationship perfect? Um but with a sense of freedom to fail, a sense of freedom to venture boldly, a sense of freedom to trust God's goodness for you in your struggles with eros, with romance. So let's go. First point. First way Logos meets eros in relationships. If this is your first week, Logos meets eros is the title of our series. I'm not going to explain it. We're just talking about what Jesus says about relationships. First way, from confusion to clarity of purpose. So what's the biblical purpose of marriage? What's the point? Why would we get married? We're talking about marriage because I think most of you are on the same page with me that like we're kind of dating to find the person we want to marry. So like let's start with the end in mind. What's the purpose of marriage? Ephesians 5. We see that the purpose of marriage is that husbands and wives would become more like Jesus. So 525. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Because the husband is called to become more like Jesus by loving his wife in the same way that Jesus loved the church. Church meaning everyone throughout history that, you know, God gives truth, faith, and repentance, all Christians throughout history, a lot of us in this room. Jesus loved this group of people called the church by giving himself up for her, laying down his life to save her. Husbands are called to become more like Jesus, to do this, to become willing to give up their preferences, to give up anything, to suffer any pain, to endure any hardship, to endure any indignity necessary to love, care for, protect their wife in the way that she needs. The husband is called to take the lead in this in a particular sense. To be the one to take the lead in apologizing first, repenting first, taking responsibility for the protection and provision in his household as a steward of the family. This might raise some suspicions. Some of you might be hearing me say that in some way the woman is less than or not worthy or 
not a leader, not saying that. The Bible's not saying that. Uh, we can talk more about that. But I want you to notice like what it is saying. What it is saying is that this passage tells us that the husband is to treat his wife as more valuable than himself, more worthy of care. He's to lay down his life for her. Like what woman wouldn't love to be loved like this by her husband? And it doesn't stop there. In this passage, we see the transformational power of the love of Jesus. Remember that the her in this verse is talking about the church, us. Jesus did this, that he might sanctify her, us, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. This is just talking about how Jesus' love changes everything. It makes us come alive. It sanctifies us in a specific direction. Some of y'all are wondering like, okay, sanctification, I've heard that word. I mean, is that just like becoming holy in some kind of an abstract general sense and like without sin? No, it's in a specific direction. It makes us more like Jesus. In the specific way that we, as a human creature, were made to be like Jesus. If that's the outcome of Jesus' love, this impacts our concept of what the love of a husband is for. It transforms the wife. And from the rest of Scripture and personal experience, like we know that the love of the wife does the same thing for her husband. Right? Like this tells us that God uses the love of both spouses in parallel, different but parallel ways to transform the other, to make them more like Jesus. What this means is that Jesus calls us not to transactional love, but to generous love. Giving without thought of getting in return. Marriage isn't for your own satisfaction or happiness, although it often brings about both those things. Marriage is that you might make progress in your God-given purpose to come alive in Christ as you die to yourself for the other. I'm going to say that again. What marriage is for is that you might, you might both make progress in your God-given purpose to come alive in Christ as you die to yourself for the other. Okay. What does that mean for our lives? Y'all are like, none of, nobody's here is married yet. Like, why are we talking about this? For our lives, it actually helps to answer a question I've heard from many of you, which is, who should I date? Or, if you are dating, how do I know if I want to marry them? Like, how do I know if this is a person that I should start dating, pursue for dating? Or, like, if we're dating, like, how do I know if I should continue pursuing them for marriage? What it's not about. Not primarily about physical attraction. You know, it may start there. Sometimes it comes later. Either way, it's got to be something more. It's not about personality. Like, are our personalities compatible? Like, I'm an Enneagram 8. She's a 7. Like, is that? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Uh, it's not about, like, chemistry like is the spark between us big enough we're like oh the spark is kind of gone not about that is not about sexual compatibility definitely um it's definitely not about being in the same like league of sexual attractiveness or like physical attractiveness like well i'm a seven but they're kind of like a six so like there's no leagues in the kingdom of god so go ahead and forget that um it's not about communicating well it's not about emotional intimacy more on that in a second so who should you date? Who, how do you know if you should marry someone? It's super simple. Listen up, guys. Find someone who's following Jesus that you want to make great. Find someone who's following Jesus 
If you're following Jesus, find someone else who's following Jesus, that you look at them and you see something in them and you're like, I want to make that person great. I want to spend my life making that person the person that God created them to be. If you want to serve them, love them, care for them, encourage them, die to yourself to help them live their life to the full, that's a good sign. You see what I'm getting at from this passage? Okay, listen again to the passage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Spending your life, laying down your life for the good of the other. If you're attracted to a person for some other reason than that, you know, I see no real compelling reason that you should keep pursuing them. Just being honest. If, um, if you don't know that whether or not you feel that yet, it's like I'm not asking you to like be sure that you want to like spend your life for this purpose before you ask them on a date. That's a lot of pressure. Not saying that. How would you know? You ask them on a date, you know. And after a few dates, you might start getting that sense. That's what dating is for. If that person that you kind of do feel that way about, or at least you think you might, is in this room, and you're following Jesus, and they're following Jesus, I'd love to see you go on a date this week, or this summer, <laughs> or in the fall. Go on a date. I'd love to see that. A date could help you figure that out. Is there something there? More on that in the last point. But that's your main question. Is this someone, might this be someone that I would like to spend my life making them great? Okay, I can feel the tension in the room. I've caused... <laughs> I'm trying to bust stuff up here, y'all. Let's talk. Let's talk. Can we have a continuing conversation about this? Talk to Anna. Talk to me. Talk to a friend. Let's talk about this. All right. Point two, the second way that Eros meets Lagos, that Jesus meets us in our relationships. He leads us from enmeshment to healthy guardrails. I'll define that word enmeshment in a second. I see this pattern I'm about to say played out almost universally in romantic relationships here at WNL. Um, each person has this God-given good uh, desire, want, need for emotional intimacy, for closeness, physical intimacy, sexual intimacy. God gave us that, right? They want to, you want to, if you're in a romantic relationship with someone or like even leaning towards it, you want to talk about everything together. You want to go everywhere together. You want to spend every moment together. You want to touch every part of each other's bodies together, right? If you're dating someone, you just feel this. And some of you, this is the messed up part. Some of you guys think that this is progress. Like, oh, we're getting so much closer. This is great. Like the boundaries are coming down. That's not a sign of a healthy relationship. That's a sign of enmeshment, which is, uh, I looked it up. It's a relationship between two or more people in which personal boundaries are permeable and unclear. Enmeshment is a relationship between two or more people in which personal boundaries are permeable and unclear. If you think romantic love is like permission to remove all the boundaries or to like gradually lower them, you know, um, to get to know each other better, understand each other better, um, um, Oh, sorry, I kind of messed up on my notes here. You do want to get to know each other better, obviously. Understand each other better. But if you think that romantic love is permission to just remove all the boundaries, um, the, the boundaries will become permeable and unclear, crossable. And that's the defini definition of enmeshment. Okay, so if you're saying, like, hold up, I thought that 
um, relationships were for this purpose. Like actually, to get closer to this person, doesn't it make sense that as we gradually get you know, to know each other better and get more trust with each other, that the boundaries would get just kind of gradually lower and lower and lower until maybe like in sort of like a wedge diagram at marriage is when they're just like totally gone, maybe, right? Kind of makes sense. No. Why? In the world that God made, which works according to his design, only the covenant oath made in marriage provides the safety and commitment within which boundaries can safely come down. Okay, so illustration. North Korea, South Korea. I think South Korea likes to just be called Korea, but you know what I'm talking about. Whatever. Between these two countries, the DMZ, the demilitarized zone, I hope you guys know about this. It's like along the entire border of the countries. Uh, it's been there for 70 years, 160 miles across, two and a half miles wide, concrete wall in the middle, barbed wire and military defenses on both sides. North and South Korea have no commitment to each other other than sometimes like each other's annihilation, right? They have no trust. Uh, they have no legitimate contract or promise or covenant to not really mess with each other. So they have boundaries. God's plan is before the covenant of marriage, boundaries keep you safe. After the covenant of marriage, boundaries are replaced with safety, with trust. This person just promised himself to you. You promise yourself to them. Before marriage, healthy boundaries means there are things you won't talk about together, time you won't spend together, ways that you won't care for each other, places you won't go together, parts of each other's bodies you won't touch. It means you don't take responsibility for each other's finances, overall health, and emotional stability. Both people in the relationship are called to not lead the relationship towards those things, and both people in the relationship are called to occasionally put up a stop sign and be like, hey, I know that you want to go there with me, and like honestly, part of me does too, but we shouldn't go there. Both people are called to that. I'm imagining that some of you feel um, the objection of like, this doesn't, what you're describing here, Willis, doesn't sound like a very close relationship. Like not a very close, intimate, and in a way, you are right. I am describing a different way of dating. It's not nearly as close as marriage, and that's a good thing. I'm saying you shouldn't trust someone with all your life, heart, body, mind, time, until they make a covenant with you to put your good ahead of their own. Okay, again, <laughs> I'm not even done at that point. We've got some diagnostic questions. Uh, number one, ask yourself, are we kind of pretending to be married? Are we deeply connected emotionally? Do we feel pretty free together in our physicality? Are there very few clear boundaries in our relationship? If the answers are yes, you're pretending to be married. You're enmeshed. And your two options are pretty much break up or get married. Okay, so some suggested boundaries for those of you who are in a newer rela a romantic relationship or you're not in one yet, you want to be one in the future. Emotional boundaries. Resist becoming one another's emotional regulators. Okay, the, the person that you vent to, that you need to talk with first about everything. We need lots of friends, guys. Man, we need friendship. If you're single right now, just like get in some good relationship with friends. That'll be good for your next relationship. Because you need some people that you can take your junk to. Other than the person that you're going to be dating. So, um, family members, some people you call your mom, that's cool. <laughs> if she'll tolerate it. 
Um, and we need, to learn, we need to learn to bring God our honest emotions. I think most people here, including me sometimes, we feel like God doesn't really want to hear with, like, deal with our like, negative emotions or anger, frustration, anxiety. He does. He really does. Go read the Psalms. He wants us to be really honest with Him. There should be conversational boundaries. I don't think you should talk about how many kids you want to have. I don't think you should talk about what kind of wedding you want. Guys, we can talk about this kind of stuff as just like information. How many kids do you want? Uh, three. Uh, what, what do you want to wear for your wedding? Uh, tux. But if the girl talks about that, our brains are different. She's already imagining the entire scenario and like what music is going to be played and what the flowers are going to be and what the dances are going to be. And I'm not making fun of it. That's just reality because our minds are different. So th- this is emotionally laden for her in a way that it's not for you. So don't go there. That's a hot take. You can disagree with me. I just think that's true. Um, I don't think you should talk about, in general, I think it's a good idea to not talk about past sexual history until you're like engaged or almost engaged. Why would you bear your soul to someone who's not committed to you? One reason is because you're afraid that they'll feel betrayed later on. I get it. Fear makes you want to cross boundaries that shouldn't be crossed, but there's a healthier way forward. Okay, here's a healthier way. What about this? How about everyone in this room assume that everyone else in this room is a sexually broken person, right? Whether they've slept with someone or not, whether they've just been looking at stuff or, you know, sexting or thinking about stuff in their head, everyone in this room is a sexually broken person. True. It's just a true fact. And Jesus' grace is enough for all of us. He knows that. He gave marriage to people like us. He knows that. We can push forward and trust that God's grace is sufficient for me to keep some secrets from the person that I'm dating and get us through it later on. If you have specific issues with that, we can talk. Like This stuff should be talked about. Time boundaries. Uh, Your boyfriend or girlfriend is not a full-time job. They're not a part-time job. There's someone you spend time with for fun like other hobbies. Give them hobby time. Sorry. When you're married, your spouse gets all your time. They get to claim all your time, right? Even then, they have to share you with work, with friends, if it's healthy. Until then, you need time boundaries. Here's some to set up. I'm not going to sacrifice time with my friends, with my church or campus ministry, with what you do for fun, gym, sport, fishing. Um, this says, hey, boyfriend, girlfriend, you want all my time? going to have to marry me. going to have to put a ring on it. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> All right, physical boundaries. We talked a lot about this last week. I'm not going to kind of rehash all of that. But just overview, your body does not belong to your boyfriend or your girlfriend. They don't have a right to it, and you shouldn't offer it to them. If they suggest that you need to offer more of your body or more physicality for them to feel loved or whatever, run. (laughs) This is saying they don't want you. They want your body. They're not willing to wait. Again, we talked about this last week. The hard issue is lust. Lust isn't isn't limited to physical contact. But I'd offer as a healthy boundary suggestion nothing more than a kiss when you're dating. Lying on a couch while kissing is more than a kiss. (laughs) Kissing for 10 minutes is more than a kiss. It's making out. Kissing with clothes off, definitely more than a kiss. This isn't about legalism or like prudishness or like, oh, that's gross. It's not about any of that. Sexuality is beautiful and good and God gave it to us for a reason. 
The point is about holding a healthy and clear boundary that safeguards something that's very valuable, you and your sexuality, until there's a covenant oath providing safety. And if you've already crossed all of these boundaries in current or past relationships, I want you to, um, I want you to hear the invitation of Jesus, right? That you can change with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to lie. It is very hard to like, your relationship is a big ship and to turn that ship once you've already started down a path is really hard. Not impossible. And uh, in your next relationship, you don't have to do that same thing, guys. And I'll just say, I say this a lot, I guess it's controversial. I think if you've already crossed a lot of boundaries in your relationship already, and you are both committed to following Jesus, I think your two options are get married or break up. And like fairly quickly. So we can talk about that. All right, last point here. Bringing it home. From fear to grace. What would it look like to have a grace-based culture of relationships, not a fear-based one? 2 Timothy 1, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Debbie has a lot of fear around relationships, guys. I mean, I see it when I talk with you guys. I see it in our culture. Here's a couple things I see. One, uh, there's a big hookup culture here. And so often the hookup comes before the relationship, which means if y'all are in a relationship, everyone assumes that you're hooking up or that there's like this level of like, you've already been through like, oh man, do I want to commit to this person enough to have a relationship? There's like a lot of pressure in the culture around that relationship here. I've noticed that. I've also noticed that evangelical Christian culture often puts a lot of pressure on people before you have to, like, it's like before you ask someone on a date, you have to be like, well, are they the one that I want to marry? It's like, that's crazy. That's so much pressure. Like, that's what dating is for, to figure that question out. So y'all are afraid to ask someone on a date, afraid to break up, and afraid to get married. That's a lot of fear, guys. And that stinks. I'm sorry. I'm honestly, like, my heart breaks for you guys in the midst of this. It's so hard. For the record, I felt the same fear, especially before I asked my wife on our first date. Oh my gosh, so much anxiety. So I get it. This is a problem because some of the most marriageable, wonderful, Jesus following people at WNL are in this room, <laughs> right? A lot of them are here. We should feel more free to talk here, more free to date here than anywhere else. So let's talk about what that might look like. What if we didn't require people to be sure they wanted to date someone before asking them on a date? What if the date was your chance to decide if you wanted to go on another date with them? What if you could just ask someone on a date because you thought they were kind of cool, you know, and wanted to see if there could be something there? So let me try to take some of the pressure off asking someone on a date. Presupposing you're on board with basically the biblical picture of marriage, you're both trying to follow Jesus, you know, the idea of some boundaries and all that. You don't have to know that you like them like a certain amount. There's not a certain amount of like that you have to have for someone to go on a date with them. You don't have to talk to them over text for six months to kind of feel things out. You really don't have to do that. Uh, you don't have to feel called to marry them. Definitely not. You just have to want to go on a date with them, which in and of itself might be challenging to want to in the midst of all of that fear. I get that. So let me invite you all to something that can help a lot, okay? Someone has to bear the anxiety, right? the fear. Someone has to bear the anxiety of the relationships. Someone has to carry the heavier burden. Guys, 
Make it you. Simple. It's not like you can both share it. doesn't work that way. Somebody's got to take it. Guys, take it. What does that look like? It is stressful to like be, wait to be asked on a date. Um, most of the reasons guys don't ask girls on dates have to do with submitting to fear and avoiding pain. So man up. Bite the bullet. Take a risk. Ask her on a date. If you want to, if there's a girl that you want to ask on a date, ask her on a date. Um, it is stressful and fearful to wonder if a get-together is a date. Is this a date? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I bet a lot of you ladies have had like that experience. Is this a date? I'm not sure. Guys, uh, heads up. If you ask a girl to go somewhere and do something with you one-on-one, she's wondering on a date, and it usually is, <laughs> whether you call it that or not. So bite the bullet, bear the anxiety, and call it a date from the get-go. Hey, Susie, would you go on a date with me on Friday night? I was thinking we could watch the sunset on the parkway. Now she knows it's a date. She can say yes or no. That's a risk for you. Take the risk. It is stressful to break up and wonder if you're getting back together. That's super stressful. Guys, bite the bullet, bear the anxiety, and make it clear. Hey, Susie, I hope no one in this room is named Susie. <laughs> not, <laughs> not coming at you. Susie, you know I think you're great. And this is, listen, I, for those who've been through a recent breakup, this is hard. Um, but like being clear, you know I think you're great. But after reflecting and searching my heart, we need to stop dating. I'm just not seeing it working out. And it's not fair to drag it out just to avoid hurting you. Thank you for everything. And I wish you all the best. Goodbye. That's hard to hear. So hard. But it's clear. And it's brave because you're not like, yeah, let's kind of revisit it in three months and see if, you know, maybe. Yeah. All right. If everything I'm saying sounds crazy, that's fair. It could be that I'm wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. I think I'm saying what Jesus has for us here. But even if I'm right, Jesus retains the right to surprise us with his word. Right? So it might sound crazy. But I challenge you, if you're like, this guy is nuts. I challenge you, come up with a better solution, right, to the confusion, the problems, the, the fear, the lack of boundaries, the enmeshment, the confusion that we feel in relationships. What are you going to do with that, guys? Because, like, what we got going on here at WNL is not working. It's just not working. Doesn't the clarity, the order, the beauty we see in er as Eros meets Lagos suggest that this God who gave us this truth is worth following? is worth offering our lives to, is worth submitting to as we pursue our romantic relationships. I want to end with this, just like a little dose of extra grace. The most important thing I want you to hear is how His grace leads us out of here. Whatever you're going through right now, you may be terrified that you'll end up alone. And God in His generous love has said, do not fear. I know the plans I have for you. I know what your future is. My grace is sufficient for all your fears. You may be afraid that you just messed up your relationship or that after what I said or that you're going to mess up your relationship and you're not even starting one. God in his generous love uses even your mistakes to write beautiful stories in your life. You may be anxious because your current relationship is already beyond broken. Uh, it's beyond repair. You don't know what breaking up is going to mean for you. And God in his generous love will walk with you. He's with you, man. He's with you. He's with you in the midst of that breakup. Leading a relationship that pleases Jesus does not mean doing it all right, finding the perfect way to avoid making mistakes. 
course, it means trying to obey Jesus, trying to follow him, and admitting when you fail, asking for forgiveness. But all that flows out of trusting that Jesus loves you more than any person, any other person loves you. That Jesus loves that other person more than you love them. And that, like, his love is not just passive, like, you know, he just, like, looks at you and loves you. It's active. He loves you in life. He loves you into life, into a better life than you can earn for yourself. Jesus loves you. He knows your fears. He feels your pain, but he's not scared. He's with you. He holds you, and he has what's best for you, so trust him. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you so much that you hold us, Jesus. It is scary to navigate relationships. It is, can be hard to figure out how to, how to handle certain situations. It's hard just to trust you that you've got someone out there. Lord, when you're single, Lord, would you help us, help these wonderful people in this room to trust you and that that trust in you, your love for them might change, that their relationships might become beacons of light and joy in their lives and to their friends. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There you go. Yeah. Please stand and sing this last one.